Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grove Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Nick and I have the honor and privilege of pastoring the Grove Church right here in Fontana, California. Here at the Grove, our vision is to see our community grow closer to Christ, be givers like Christ, and reintroduce the lost to Christ. And my prayer is that as you listen to this message, you will be encouraged, you'll grow a little in your faith, and you wouldn't just hear the word, but you would become a doer of the word. But I wouldn't just stop there. I encourage you to share this message with your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, and anyone else you can think of. And after you do that, follow us on social media and visit our website at yourgrovechurch.org to learn more about who we are as a ministry and how you can get involved and plugged in right here at The Grove. I'm excited for you to hear this message. I can't wait. So get your notes ready and let's dive all the way in together. Galatians chapter six, verse one through five. And here's what verse one says. It says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, look at your neighbor and say, are you godly? You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Look at your neighbor and say, help me. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each for we are each responsible for our own conduct. All right, so here's what we're talking about today. Today's message is really uh, a part one of sorts, and I don't imagine that over the next few weeks that we'll continue with this series, but essentially I think the purpose for calling it what, I, what I've called it is because I think throughout um, the years, we'll probably be talking about this idea over and over and over. So you can kind of look at this as like a part one in an installment that'll probably range over more than just a few weeks. Um, and so today what we're talking about is this idea of uh, countercultural. And the part one that we're focusing on is accountability. So the message for today, countercultural, we're focusing on accountability. Um, so let's pray over this message. Lord, we thank you for this word. Lord, we pray that I would deliver it, preach it, share it in the same way that you've given it to me, God, full of life, full of encouragement, full of love, Jesus. Anytime we speak the truth, we want to speak it in love so that it is well received. And so, Lord, I pray that as we hear this word, we wouldn't just hear it, but we would become doers of this word. We would do exactly what it has to say. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So. If you, unless you've been living under a rock, I don't imagine that anyone has been living under a rock, but if you have been around over the last few weeks or the last week, really, um, you will know that yet again, Kanye West is trending, right? Uh, and I get it. I know. I know every, every other year there's something that goes on, but yes, he's, he's trending again. And, um, this time, and it's not like all the other times weren't serious, but this time is really serious, right? So he, he's made some anti-Semitic comments, um, and being anti-Semitic is basically hostility or prejudice towards Jewish people. And so you'll find it very interesting that this is kind of how we're starting the message and what we're going to focus on um, when it comes to our text and what Paul is actually talking about in Galatians. But essentially, Kanye West has made some of these comments that are anti-Jewish comments. And so now you're probably asking yourself, well, here we go again, right? Yes, again, we have this very familiar situation where this individual is doing something to trend or to be the focal point of news outlets for the week. Um, and this is not unfamiliar territory. Um, however, what is interesting about this time is that there's kind of like this mass exodus, if you will, around 
Kanye West. And so what I mean by that is you have all of these companies who are ending their partnership and dropping him from their companies and no longer utilizing him as a tastemaker, if you will, or a brand ambassador. And so, so much so to the point that he walks into Skechers this week and they kick him out, right? Albeit he was unannounced. And so obviously if you're going to walk in somewhere unannounced and no one is expecting, you should also expect to get kicked out. But that's beside the point. Anyway, there's this mass exodus. So all these companies are leaving him. Not only that, but as a result of his comments, there was a report and he even posted himself that he had lost, get this, $2 billion in a day. $2 billion in a day. Most of us will never make $2 billion over our lifespan. This person lost $2 billion in the day as a result of companies like Adidas and Gap dropping him from their company. Now, what is happening is not original to Kanye West. What is happening is not original to someone who makes you know, poor decisions and makes comments that um, are harmful and offensive. It's, it, so what is happening to him is not original. And in fact, there's a name for what is actually happening to him right now, and that is called being canceled. Kanye West is effectively being canceled right now. Companies are leaving him. Companies are dropping him, making public declarations that they no longer support and sponsor him. They are canceling or at least attempting to cancel Kanye West. So what does cancel culture mean or cancel culture or call out culture, whatever you phrase it as? Here's what it means. It's a phrase used to refer to a form of ostracism in which someone is thrust out of social or professional circles. Whether it be online, on social media, or in person, those subject to this ostracism are said to have been canceled. And so the expression cancel culture has mostly negative connotations and it's used in debates on free speech and censorship. As I'm looking up this definition of a few more things that it describes, it says the notion of cancel culture is a variant of the term call out culture. It is often said to take the form of boycotting or shunning an individual, often a celebrity like we see in this case, who is deemed to have acted or spoken in an unacceptable manner. It goes on to say that some critics argue that cancel culture has a chilling effect on public discourse. It is unproductive, does not bring real social change, causes intolerance, and amounts to cyberbullying. These are the negative impacts of cancel culture. But there are others on the other side of the argument who say that cancellation are themselves a free, cancellation itself is a form of free speech and that they promote accountability, give disenfranchised people a voice, and are simply another form of boycotting. This is what our culture has become, where someone says something that the majority doesn't agree with, and so they cancel the person. And so where an individual has a differing opinion and views get ostracized in the form of being canceled, and it's billed as holding people accountable. Like oftentimes that's what it's described as, like this cancel culture is meant to hold people accountable. You can't go and make comments and not have any repercussions. And part of that is true. Like if you're gonna make comments that are offensive and hurtful towards people, you should be held accountable, do you agree? I think we would all agree that people should be held accountable for their actions. But what's happening here when someone is canceled is it goes beyond that. It impacts the person's livelihood. It impacts the person's mental well-being. And so all of a sudden you have this person who makes a mistake that's getting pushed out of the public eye or getting pushed into this bucket of you know, again, ostracism where this person is cast aside and it's almost like this person has no real value anymore. So they're being told and, they're, and, and the public is making this person feel this sense of shame for having made a mistake. However, if we're thinking about accountability, then we as people need real accountability. It's not just a popular phrase. It's not just a popular term. It needs to be real accountability for people, and not just on the part of the individual who created the offense, but also the individuals who were offended and the individuals around the person. Like there has to be true accountability on all sides. When people in your life make mistakes, including yourself, 
right? That is not the time to make them feel like they're a failure. That is not the time to make them feel like they are less than. That is not the time to make them feel like they are not valued. People need to feel loved in spite of their mistakes, in spite of their shortcomings. And we have to do a better job of holding people accountable, but doing it within the context of love, right? So when people are doing things that you've asked them to stop doing, a number of times or when people are saying things that they shouldn't be saying that are offensive or people are behaving in a manner that goes against how you would expect them to behave, this social contract that we all have kind of signed together, when people are going against that, there should be some real accountability. That's true. And that goes for those in the church and outside of the church, every single person, right? There should be some accountability for our actions. It's not a time to make them feel like failures. It's not a time to make them feel like they've reached this point of no return. Instead, when people make mistakes in our life, it's an opportunity for us to be counter to culture. And instead of canceling people, it's an opportunity for us to truly have accountability and more so in a biblical sense, which would cause people to change their life and change their course of direction. It's not about making people feel like because they've missed the mark that they can never make up or return from that. No, it's, it's a matter of helping people see where they've messed up. But like our text says, right, let's go back to our scripture that we read earlier. Um, when we go back to our text, what does it describe, right? It describes helping people find the right path. Right. Let's read Galatians chapter six, verse one again. It says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, some sin, it doesn't it doesn't prescribe what sin it is. It doesn't share what that actual sin is. It just says if someone is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. So there's people. If we want to use our example, Kanye West, there's people in his life that should be helping him gently and humbly Find the right path, not making him feel like he's less than or ostracizing him overall as a person. It's not about canceling people, right? When I think about how we can be countercultural to this idea and holding people accountable, I really think about Jesus and Peter or even Jesus and Judas. And let's start with the latter. But Judas goes and he betrays Jesus. Before the Last Supper, he betrays Jesus and Jesus is at the table with his disciples and he knows, he senses, he feels, he knows that someone has betrayed him and he knows who it is because he says, the person that I feed is the one who betrays me. And then he turns around and he goes and he feeds Judas, right? So in that moment, instead of condemning Judas, instead of kicking him out, instead of canceling him, he holds him accountable and basically looks him in the eyes and says, do what you need to do, right? He tells him like, do what you need to do, but he doesn't, he doesn't kick him out. He feeds him in the moment, right? In the same way that Jesus does this to Judas, how can we feed those still the people in our lives who make mistakes? How can we make sure that we are still caring for those people and not canceling them? So I also think about Jesus and Peter, where Peter uh, denies Jesus three times, right? And some scholars believe that Peter denies Jesus to a little girl. So not someone who had any kind of authority, not someone who had had the ability to make decisions about Peter's life, but he denies that he knows and he has spent time with Jesus to a little girl, right? So he felt that much uh, uh, of the need to deny Jesus that even to a little kid, he does this. But what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't cancel Peter. Jesus knows that Peter denies him. As he's on the way to the cross, he knows that Peter has denied him. He sees him in the crowd as uh, basically like backing away as if he doesn't know who Jesus is. But Jesus doesn't cancel Peter. In fact, Jesus makes Peter the rock of the church, right? Peter is the one that Jesus says on this rock. He gives him a new name and he says, on this rock, I will build my church. And Peter is effectively one of the first pastors that we see 
in scripture. Not only that, but he doesn't cancel him, but he, he holds him accountable by having a tough conversation with Peter where he almost reminds him of how many times he denied him three times. Jesus turns around and asks Peter three times, do you love me? And that was Jesus's way of holding him accountable. But what we see is that Jesus is not kicking Peter out of the circle. Jesus is not making Peter feel like he's less valuable than because he's denied him. No, Jesus holds him accountable and then restores him to his rightful position. So how do we have that same mindset and that same attitude when people in our lives make mistakes or do things that, that, that don't sit well with us or not meeting the expectations that we have? We have to be counter to culture. And what that means is that we have to speak against or be opposed to the way in which culture does things. Culture tends to throw people away as if they are less valuable because they've made a mistake, as if the stain that's on them is so deep and so ingrained that it can't be washed away or it can't be fixed. And so we have to be countercultural to this idea. We need to mirror Jesus when it comes to holding people accountable. Instead of canceling Peter or Judas, it, Judas eventually hangs himself, so that's kind of on him. But instead of canceling any of those people, Jesus restores Peter and actually pulls him closer. Accountability, real accountability looks like pulling people closer, not pushing them away. Right now, there's there's you, you want to make sure that people are not making the same mistakes. And that's and I, and I and I hear that. But the reality is that we should be pulling people in and making people feel more love than before, because that that understand that when individuals make mistakes, when people have done things wrong, like let's take Peter, for example, Peter felt all of that guilt. Peter felt all of that shame. So when Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? Peter almost gets upset like, man, like, you know, I actually love you. I really do. And he's wondering why Jesus is even questioning him. So in that moment, there's a sense of guilt and there's a sense of shame for Peter. But Jesus pulls him in closer instead. We got to be counter to culture. Look at your neighbor and say counter to culture. In Romans chapter 12, verse two, it, it shows us this, right? It tells us, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world these days is to throw people away like bad garbage. And so we can't be conformed to that idea. As I was thinking about this message, I, I, one of the ideas that came to mind or one of the questions that came to mind is, why, why does cancel culture even exist? Why have we gotten in this habit of throwing people away? And there's three things that come to mind that, that I, I feel pretty strongly as far as why this even exists, but more so, you know, kind of like the, the impact that cancel culture has. And the first thing is this, is that the more inclusivity that we strive for, the more exclusive we become. So the more we try to make this world inclusive and include everything and everybody and every idea and every opinion, it's almost impossible to include every opinion in a conversation. And so as we strive to do that and be more inclusive, we actually become more exclusive because the person who does not agree with the majority opinion or idea is the one who gets ostracized. So that person now becomes excluded. So we become more exclusive when we, when we strive for inclusivity. We make it to where every idea has to be agreed upon, where every idea has to be the idea that the majority goes with, or every idea has to be valid, and that's not the case. And, and what aligns to that is this idea of, like, you know, the, the participation trophy, right? So it doesn't matter um, whether you won the game. It doesn't matter if you did a good job or not. You could be the little kid in the grass who's just looking the other way while the game is passing them up, and this kid still gets a trophy. So the more inclusive we become, the more exclusive we become. The more inclusive we strive for, excuse me, the more exclusive we become. But the other thought I had is that we value our feelings more than we fear God. Think about it. As a country, our, our pledge of allegiance, right, as a country is one nation under God, right? And so we started this country, this nation, 
with this fear of God so much so that we include it under God as a nation in the Pledge of Allegiance. But we have become more concerned about how we feel than what God wants us to do. We value those feelings. We value all of the feels. All of We value whether or not our, the vibe is right more than we actually fear God. And when I say fear God, it's not about being afraid of God, but it's about having a reverence, a respect for God. So we value our feelings more than respecting God and God's word and what God has called for us and the will of God for our life. We value our feelings. So if I don't feel like going to church or I don't feel like leaving, leading a prayer group or I don't feel like leading a small group or I don't feel like praying for my friends or I don't feel like talking to others about Jesus, we will go with our feelings as opposed to what God has called us to do. So as a country, as a nation, as a culture, we are valuing our feelings more than we fear God. And then the last thing I was thinking about is that we rather conform than create. It's easier to conform. It's easier to do and go with the flow. It's easier to do what others are doing. It's easier to just be comfortable with the norms and and conform to everything that's going on around us. It's harder to create our own lane. It's harder to stick out because we don't like the feeling of not being included. We don't like the feeling of being different. We don't like the feeling of being unique. But the reality is that we were all called to create. We, we are born and created by a creative God who hands over the keys of creation to us and we should be creating. Not only the church, but as human beings, we should be the most creative there is. And yet we feel the need to conform more than create our own lane. And that goes back to the larger topic of culture is that there's so many more followers than there are leaders. There's so many more followers than there are leaders. And so we are content with following other people's lives. We're content by looking at somebody else's life and wanting what someone else has to the point where we will forget all the good things that come with our own life. We will forget all of the things that, that we were created with because we are seeking to follow someone else's life, someone else's trajectory, someone else's route, as opposed to creating our own lane. So all these things kind of contribute to this idea of cancel culture. So if I am, uh, if I am, if I have an opinion that differs from the majority, instead of others within that majority creating a lane where my opinion can also be valid, where, where I can, where I can have a, an opinion that differs from the majority and, and that be supported, everyone kind of goes with the flow and basically says like, yeah, this, this, that's wrong. And so we've got to be counter-cultural. We can't just go with the flow, but we've got to create our own lane here. In our text today, Paul is writing to the churches in the Roman uh, province of Galatia. And, and here's why I think it's interesting that we start our message with Kanye West, who makes anti-Semitic comments, um, which is hostility towards Jewish people. And here in our text, Paul is actually talking to um, uh, Judaizers in, in, in the church of Galatia, people that Paul had evangelized there on his first missionary journey were in danger of turning from pure faith in Christ to a works-based system of salvation. So in other words, they were looking at this idea of the only way that I can get to heaven or the only way that I can experience salvation is through works. And so they were conforming to a pattern. They were accepting the Jewish rite of circumcision as necessary for salvation. And so here Paul counters the heresy and demonstrates what Roman 12 says, right? Roman 12, again, going back to it, do not conform to the pattern of this world where the world, well, the people in the church in Galatia were conforming. And so Paul is trying to help them understand, like, no, you shouldn't be conforming to the way that things have been. No, you should, you should follow what Christ says. More specifically, Paul wrote Galatians to counter Jewish Christians, Christians known as Judaizers. And Judaizers were a group of converted Jews who infiltrated the church and taught that one must keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. And so Paul is trying to counter 
these arguments. Paul is trying to counter these views to help people see like, no, that is not the truth. That is not what faith, that is not what being a follower of Christ is all about. Paul wrote boldly and forcefully to argue for the freedom of the believer in Christ. They were free from the law of Moses and they were free to follow Jesus Christ. In Paul's opinions, Christian liberty hung in the balance, not only for the Galatians, but for all believers. Because you had these differing ideas and opinions that were coming into play that were causing the church to conform to these ideas as opposed to keeping the true idea of being a follower of Christ. So in the same way that Paul was countering the Jewish Christian culture, we have to counter the culture that we're living in today in how we treat people who have made who may have messed up or missed the mark there's a few things that I think stand out from what Paul was describing to the church of Galatia that we also could keep in mind for ourselves as believers and the first thing I think that Paul is showing us is very simple we must be led by the Holy Spirit right look at the first verse again it says dear brothers and sisters if another believer is overcome by sin you who are godly You who are godly. And then he gives them instructions. But he starts by saying, you who are godly. There are other translations that describe it as you who are spiritual or you who live by the spirit. So in essence, Paul was trying to describe like, yo, if you are led by the spirit, if you have the spirit on the inside of you, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. So if we're going to be counter to culture and hold people accountable, we have to be led by the spirit. Because if I, Nicholas, by myself, try to correct someone's behavior, it's not going to be done in love. It's not going to be done with uh, in, in gentleness or with humility. It, my, my flesh will want to do it in a way that makes the pe- person feel bad, makes the person feel like They have no value. And so I have to be led by the spirit. It's not just about correcting people for the sake of correcting people, but it's about being led by the spirit when we are doing that. Why? Because the spirit will allow us to yield certain fruits such as love so that our communication and how we approach people is done in that matter. Without that, then the manner in which we approach people will be truly reflective of our flesh. And our flesh is sinful by all accounts. And so we've got to be led by the spirit. This is the essence of being counter to culture, right? Because culture is led by feelings. Culture is led by what feels good and the conformity and what is comfortable as opposed to allowing the spirit of God to tell us how we should operate and how we should act. This is the essence of being counter to culture. When Paul is saying that it takes the Holy Spirit working in us through us for us to be willing to help someone get back on the right path. That is the essence of being countered. It's allowing the spirit to lead us. But here's the challenge about that. Here's a challenge about being spirit led. And here's the reason why I think we're missing holding people accountable in a spiritual sense and by spiritual accounts and doing it more in a cultural way. In 2009, the Barner Research Group did a survey on adult spiritual beliefs. And those who are listening to the message or those who are in the room, you've probably heard of the Barna Research Group. They do a lot of Christian research and Christianity research. But one of the things that they noted in 2009 in this survey, it was found that most Christians do not believe that the Holy Spirit is a living force. They don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a living force. Overall, within this study, 38% strongly agreed And 20% agree somewhat that the Holy Spirit is a symbol of God's power or presence, but is not a living entity. And that's so wrong. The reality is that the Holy Spirit, similar to Jesus, similar to God, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit has personhood. It's not about being a force. It is not just some weird, tingly sense or feeling. The Holy Spirit is a person. And so if we are going to be counter to culture and holding people responsible, we have to allow the person of the Holy Spirit to lead us in these conversations. We're living in a society where cancel culture exists. People don't believe in the Holy Spirit, which is, if we did, we would allow the Holy Spirit 
to get the best of us and lead us and work through us. I think in order to hold people accountable the godly way, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's hard to be filled with something that you don't believe in. And so as a church, as a culture, we have to get back to what does Scripture tell us about the Holy Spirit? Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is a person. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't speak the truth. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't be hold people accountable in the right way. We need the Holy Spirit to do all of this. Why is the Holy Spirit important? The Holy Spirit is important because he's a helper who teaches and reminds. He teaches us and reminds us about God's word. He teaches us and reminds us the right way to go. He's a helper. That's the purpose. That's his role. When Jesus says, look, it's good for me that I go. It's good for you that I go because when I go, I can send you a helper who lives on the inside of you, who can go and help you in all these different areas. The Holy Spirit is a source of revelation, wisdom, and power. We need that wisdom to approach conversations where we need to correct behaviors or actions. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom in, in the event that we do have to address certain behaviors with our friends or family members. In order to hold someone accountable and to do it in the right way, I got to do it with wisdom and I got to do it in love. And I need the Holy Spirit to provide that. The Holy Spirit also guides us to all truth and knowledge. Without it, without it, how can we approach a conversation sensibly? Without it, how can we hold people accountable in the right way according to what the word of God says? The Holy Spirit leads us into truth and knowledge. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us. So in the moments when I feel like, man, I, 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 this is hard. This is difficult. This is a challenge for me to evangelize. This is a challenge for me to share the gospel with someone. It's a challenge for me to, 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 to not be conformed to culture, but to stand out and to create my own lane that says, I'm going to focus on the word of God and the fear of God as, as opposed to my feelings. It's hard. And so we need the Holy Spirit to help us in that weakness. And if we have the desire and the willingness to live according to what the word of God says and not what culture says, the Holy Spirit will come in and help us in the areas that we are weak. And finally, the Holy Spirit sanctifies and enables good fruit in our lives. It goes back to the point of, man, when we speak the truth to someone, we got to do it in love. We can't do that without the Holy Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love. It's all of those things that allow us to approach these situations in a godly manner. And so we've got to be led by the Holy Spirit if we're going to do what Paul says, and that is to gently and humbly help somebody on the right, back onto the right path. The next thing Paul tells us to do when it comes to someone that we need to hold accountable is Paul tells us like, listen, you have to do it gently and humbly. Do it gently and humbly. I, 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 that's from verse, uh, verse one in Galatians chapter six. But I want to kind of jump ahead to Galatians chapter three through five because it helps us kind of see the result of not being gentle or exercising humility or even the Holy Spirit not being present. Look at what Galatians chapter six, verse three says. It says, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. It's not about you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not about you. Living without the Holy Spirit causes us to think that it's more about us, that we are more important. And the reality is that it's not about us. You're fooling yourself if you think that you are too important to help somebody else. If you can see someone stumble and not lend a helping hand, or you can see someone make a mistake in what they say or what they do or how they behave, and you think you are too important to help that person get back on the right path, you are not that important. Verse four goes on and says, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. So instead of making comparisons like, oh, I would never do this or I would never do that. And look at that person. Look at how could they do this and how could they be this and how could they act this way? The reality is that when we do that, we are demonstrating that we have a lack of spiritual maturity and the fact that we are not paying attention to our own work. Pay attention to your own work so then you're not comparing yourself to any 
one else. It's not about, it's not about what the person did. It's not about the sin. It's how do we separate that from the person? How do we make sure that we look at the person for who they are and the fact that Jesus still loves them regardless of their sin and we help them anyway? Instead of paying attention to other people's business and what they're doing, how can we focus on making sure that we're helping people who need the support and who need the help? Right? It's not about comparing our behavior or who we are as a person to someone else. It's about seeing them as a person who needs help and doing that gently and humbly. Verse five continues and says, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. You are also responsible for your behavior when you are shaming someone, when you are choosing to cancel someone, where you are choosing to ostracize someone. You're responsible for that behavior as well. And you will be accountable and responsible for your conduct as well. So even though you're dealing with someone who may have sinned or may have done something that that goes against the word of God or goes against the will of God, it's not an opportunity for you to shame someone because just as they are accountable for their shortcomings, you are too in those moments as well. Again, we're talking about being counter to culture. And I know that sounds uh, that again, that's hard, right? Like it's easier to conform to what culture says. It's easier to hold people accountable in the same way that culture does by canceling people. But the reality is that we have to look at it from what the word of God tells us. And how can we be counter cultural to these things? Right? So I've got to do this with, with gentleness and with humility. Again, I, 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 think about, um, I think about Jesus here. I think about Jesus here in, in the way that he approached, you know, um, dying on the cross, right? Like Jesus wasn't thinking, okay, I'm going to die on the cross for just those who will always make the right decisions. Yeah, that's, that's it. So I'm going to die for only those who always get it right 100% of the time, every day, Every part of the, that's the person that I'm dying for. That's not the case. The reality is that Jesus dies on the cross for you, the person that you are today, the person that you will be tomorrow, all of your shortcomings, all of your mistakes. He knows all of that. And he still made the decision to die on the cross for you. And he's also made the decision that, listen, repentance is available. Salvation is available. So even when you do make a mistake, you have access to Jesus to ask for forgiveness. So I think about it this way. If Jesus can forgive the worst of sinners, right? If Jesus can forgive, let's say just the people who put him on the cross and nailed him to the cross. If Jesus can have that moment while he's still on the cross and say something like, man, forgive them because they, they, they don't know what they're doing. If he can have that moment, how can we not have that same moment for people in our lives? Right? How can we not exercise that same forgiveness for people? While culture says, throw them away, make them an outcast, make them an, an outsider. Our example, Jesus Christ tells us that forgiveness should be our go-to not cancellation, right? That we should be bringing people in closer, not canceling or making people feel like less than. Paul talks about humility and gentleness and and humility. There's a quote about humility that I love. It says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So it's not thinking you are less than, it's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking about yourself less in lieu of trying to help others. That is what humility is. Humility says, I'm gonna take myself out of the the focus of the frame and I'm gonna focus on someone else who needs help. I'm gonna focus on someone else who needs to be picked up in this moment. That's what scripture tells us, right? Don't don't think about ourselves. Don't, Don't put ourselves first, but think about those who need the help. And then when it comes to gentleness, a quote that I love, it says this, in the long run, the sharpest weapon of all is a kind and gentle spirit. And you know what's crazy about this quote? This quote was said by Anne Frank. In all of the things that Anne Frank experienced, here she is making this quote about, again, in the long run, the sharpest weapon 
of all is a kind and gentle spirit. This person has every right, had every right to be bitter and be angry and be upset. She's a little girl who gets thrown into a concentration camp by Germans. Her father is killed, her mother is killed, her sister is killed, and, and, and she's in this concentration camp because simply because she's Jewish, simply because of her heritage. She had every right to be upset and be angry and throw insults at the people who did these things to her and, and millions of other Jews. And yet her response is, in the long run, the sharpest weapon of all is a kind and gentle spirit. That is a mic drop moment right there, right? That's a mic drop moment because in all of my pain and all of my frustration, I don't know if I have that same attitude. I don't know if when someone does me wrong, I have that attitude of let me just be kind and gentle, right? But here she is and Frank, here Paul is reminding us like, listen, we need to help and correct people gently and humbly. That is the kind of attitude we should have. Throughout this text, this, uh, this, this Galatians chapter six, one of the things that we can't forget is that it does describe like, listen, you have to be careful as well, right? Like when I'm helping someone, I also have to be careful because I gotta make sure that I am right as well. I gotta make sure that I am taking care of myself too. I gotta make sure that I am not falling into the same temptation. So Paul cautions us with that. He cautions us by reminding us, like, listen, don't fall into the same traps. Don't fall into the same temptation. So not only do I need to support someone else with kindness and tenderness, but I need to keep myself on guard and high alert as well. But the way that we do this, the way that we are counter to culture and we are holding people accountable in a godly sense is by being gentle and humble when people make mistakes. When you approach these situations with humility and gentleness, you, you again, you're, you're saying, I get it, I understand. We all make mistakes, we all get it wrong, we all fall short, but it's not the end all be all. And one of the things I think about often when it comes to mistakes is that we are allowed to make mistakes. Our mistakes don't have to make us, right? We are allowed to make mistakes, but those mistakes don't get to make us who we are. The last thing that Paul tells us, and we'll, this will be our last point and we'll end here, but the last thing that Paul tells us is, hey, we, we have to be, um, we must be carriers of each other's burdens. Ooh, and I know this is, this is, this is tough. This is probably the toughest of all of them. Because it's easier for me to push people away when they've done something wrong. Like, oh, you made a mistake. You did it. You got to figure that out on your own. Go, go figure it out. Go make it right. Right? That, that, is, the, that, is, that is cancel culture in its essence. Go, nope, you made a mistake. You're done. Take all of your endorsements. Take all of your friendships. Take all of your opportunities. Throw it all in the trash. Like, go figure it out on your own. And then when you've gotten to a level where, where we as culture think that you, you are sorry and you are remorseful, then we will allow you back. We'll give you your projects back. We'll allow you to host television shows again. We'll allow you to release certain things. Once we feel like you've gotten it right, okay, now you can come back. But the way that we should be doing it is, instead of pushing people away, not only should we be bringing them in closer, but we must be carriers of each other's burdens. That is hard to say, I'm gonna take on your burdens myself. I'm gonna help lift up your burdens. I'm gonna help you carry this weight. I'm gonna help you figure out how to get past this. Isn't that the essence of the cross where Jesus is carrying this cross? That cross represents all of your shame. That cross represents all of your mistakes all of the things that you will do in life, that cross that Jesus is carrying, he's carrying that for all of us. And at the end of the day, that's what we have to do with people in culture. We have to help them carry their burdens. That's what Galatians chapter six, verse two says, right? It says, carry each other's burdens. And then what does Paul say? It says, when we carry each other's burdens, this right here is fulfilling the law of Christ. 
So think about that. If I am, if I am conforming to culture and I am doing the same thing that culture is doing when people make mistakes, I am actually contradicting in my actions the word of God. Because the word of God says, no, I should carry those burdens because that fulfills the law of Christ. Not push people back, not make people feel like less, not, not do all those things that culture says is acceptable, but I have to carry the burden with you. And being counter to cultural culture is not easy. It is hard. It is hard. And it looks like carrying someone else's pain and struggles and mistakes. And I know we're thinking like, man, why do I have to carry the burden? Like you made the mistake. You messed up. Why do I have to help you pick this up? Why do I have to help you towards the finish line? Why do I have to help you fix this? Right? It's kind of like a school project, right? Like if you've ever been on a school project and there's a team who's working on the project and there's always that one person, right? There's always that one person that doesn't do their part. But at the end of the day, you can't get an A on the project by kicking that person out of the group or making that person or not, not helping that person complete their part. Listen, if you want a good grade on the project, even though that person is not pulling their weight, somebody's gonna have to pull on and take on a little extra in order for that outcome and that grade to be what you expect. So it's kind of similar in that in life, you are gonna have to carry the burdens of those closest to you, friends, family members, whoever it is, because that is counter to culture. If we're gonna hold people accountable, we can't do that without helping them understand their shortcomings and helping them move the needle on progress towards getting better. So if we're gonna be counter to culture and holding people accountable, we've gotta carry each other's burdens. The law that Paul is referring to is a very simple one, right? They asked, they asked Jesus, the Pharisees asked Jesus about the greatest commandment and they think they're gonna trip him up. And Jesus tells him, listen, first you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your mind, all of that. Every, every, fi every fiber of your being, you need to love the Lord. And then he says like, listen, the, the, this one is, is just as great. You gotta love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the law that Paul was referring to. So when I carry others' burdens and it says that I'm fulfilling the law of Christ, what I'm doing when I carry other people's burdens is I'm not just, I'm not just taking on their burdens for the sake of it. No, what I am doing is I am demonstrating that I am loving my neighbor as myself. And even that idea of loving your neighbor as yourself or treating people as you would yourself. All of that is not a reciprocal type of task. No, it's an initiative that you have to go with. It is you treating someone before they treat you any kind of way. It's you treating them the way that you would like to be treated. It's not saying that, oh, because you care for me, I'm going to care for you. Oh, because you treated me right, I'm going to treat you right. No, it's basically saying, I'm going to treat you right because that's what I would want as well. Before you do anything, I'm gonna treat you this way. So I am carrying others' burdens as a way to demonstrate that I am loving my neighbor as I love myself. This term that, um, that, that the verse uses, so in Galatians chapter six, verse two, it says carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ, that term fulfill is really suggest, suggestive. And it really suggests that choosing to bear another's burdens or to restore someone or to help someone be restored, choosing to do that is exactly what is expected of all of us as believers in Jesus Christ. This is not an option. I, I, just, wanna, I just wanna say that this is not an option. This is not a recommendation. Look at your neighbor and say, this is required. It is required of all of us to bear each other's burdens. If someone's hurting, I'm going to bear that burden. If someone's made a mistake, I'm going to bear that burden. If someone has done something wrong, 
I'm going to bear that burden. I'm going to help them carry that thing. It's not a recommendation. It's not an option. It's not like I get to choose to do this or not. This is the word of God to carry each other's burdens. And when I do that, I'm fulfilling the law of Christ. It's the expectation of all of us, all of us as believers in Jesus Christ. And that the, the Greek word for burdens in that text is it, it, it refers to something beyond the normal capacity to carry. It's not just about carrying a load. It's about going beyond that, doing more than just carrying. And again, I know this sounds hard. I know this is challenging, but that's, that is what we signed up for. We signed up for the challenge of being Christians, of being followers like Christ, of being Christ-like that's what being a Christian is all about. And as hard as it might have been for Jesus to go on that cross for you and for me and to bear the guilt and the shame and the punishment for our sins, the sins that we've committed, that we deserve the punishment for, Jesus carries all of that weight. That, can't, that couldn't have been easy for him. And so if we're going to be Christ-like, one of the ways that we can demonstrate our likeness to Christ is carrying the burdens for others and helping them, helping to restore them, helping them to cross the finish line, helping them to be better. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope it blessed you and pray that whatever you take away today gets sown deep into your heart and you apply it to your day-to-day -day life. If it was as good to you as it was good to me, Please share this message with someone and let's continue to grow together. Part of our vision here at The Grove is to be givers like Christ. If you were blessed by today's message and you want to partner with us in your giving, all you have to do is text GIVE to 844-831-4106 or visit yourgrowthchurch.org slash give. If you're looking for a community to be a part of, we would love for you to call The Grove Church home. And to get connected to us, you can simply text GO to 844-813-5747 or shoot us a DM on one of our social media platforms. I pray blessings over you wherever you are and wherever you go and can't wait for you to join us next time. Peace.